Hello, welcome to series six of the Prompted by Nature podcast. Happy Beltane if you're listening in real time and are celebrating. I'm Helen and I'm so happy to be back after a little break. Um, Not much has changed. I read a few books, had some time out in Glastonbury, released this season's newsletter over on Substack, um, get subscribed if you're not already, and uh, generally just had time out to write, get back to my own voice, um, and just have a bit of a break, really. I think it's a really important thing to do um, if you spend a lot of time talking to other people. Sometimes um, voices can kind of get mixed up. Um, so I think it's really important to take time out and get back to your own creative voice, uh, which is what I was doing. So as you remember from series, I think, three, four and five, perhaps, um, I usually have an action point for each episode. Um, these will now be up on the episode page for um, the episodes on the website. So um, pop through the link in the show notes to find that. I'll remind you um, every time that that's where it is. Um, But I'm just trying to be a little bit more efficient with my introductions. So today's episode, um, this is the perfect conversation to open with. It's slightly longer than usual as my guest and I covered so much ground. Um, We had to reschedule it a few times actually because um, we both had COVID at the same time. I've never had it before. Um, In fact, neither of us had ever had it before. Um, But what happened was we ended up speaking on the Libra full moon, which was perfect for two chatty Libras, which we both are. Um, So my guest today is Victoria Bennett. Victoria lives in Orkney with her husband and son for whom she's a full-time carer and home educator. She's a writer, poet and creative producer who founded World Women Press in 1999 and has spent the last 21 years facilitating creative experiences and curating platforms for women to share ideas, stories, inspirations and actions for positive change. Victoria has a wealth of creative experience and I really encourage you to explore her website for all of that information. Victoria's debut memoir, which we discuss in the episode, All My Wild Mothers, examines motherhood, loss and the ancient art of wart cunning, which is knowledge of medicinal plants and herbs, and was long listed for the Nan Shepherd Prize in 2019 and the Penguin Right Now programme 2020, as well as a winner of the Northern Debut Award. When she's not juggling home ed, freelance creative projects, research, study and chronic illness, Victoria can be found howling with the wild women, her creative tribe. In this conversation, we discuss what took her to Orkney, the process of writing All My Wild Mothers, the symbiosis of writing and gardening, creativity and ecology, the impact of her upbringing on her interactions with nature, the structure of the book, choosing presence in both joy and grief, combining deep time, long time and momentary time in the writing process, refinding creativity after loss, writing and memory, wild women press and prioritising creative projects. And then the two new questions for everyone. She told us about the advice she would give to her younger self and what she's looking forward to. You can find Victoria on Twitter and Instagram at bewild, B-E-E-W-Y-L-D. And on her website, www.victoriabennett.me. And Bennett is B-E-N-N-E-T-T. I've also popped the video created for the book using music inspired by it on the episode page on my website. So do have a look at that because it's really beautiful. You can find All My Wild Mothers via any independent bookshop or you can order it from the library, of course. 
and then post a review on Amazon because that really helps uh, writers, especially debut writers. It's also available on my Prompted by Nature bookshop on bookshop.org, the link for which is in the show notes. And if you're in a book club, I highly recommend taking Victoria up on her offer of coming along to any online meetups to talk about the book. So uh, things are still the same with contacting me. I'm on at prompted.by.nature on Instagram, at promptedbynature on Facebook and at promptedxnature on Twitter. Plus you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, read the latest blog, find out about upcoming events via my website, www.promptedbynature.co.uk. Remember to pop back on Tuesday for the writing prompt that follows this episode. I hope you really enjoy this opening to series six. It's so lovely to be back. It's so lovely to have you back. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Please do rate, uh, review any of the things that you can do. Mention this to your friends. uh, Share with people uh, who are like-minded and perhaps even not like-minded because it's always nice to expand our horizons. Um, And yes, because your support means so much. Happy listening and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Hi Helen, Um, I'm Victoria and I am an author and carer and founder of Wild Women Press. Um, And I now live in Orkney, a long way north of the border where I wrote All My Wild Mothers. Um, having previously lived in Cumbria for 25 years. Um, What was it that took you up to Orkney? I mean, why wouldn't you go to Orkney, is my question. (laughs) But yeah, what what was it that that led you to to up sticks and move that far north? Yeah. Uh, Well, I lived in Cumbria for 25 years. So really, you know, the bulk of my adult life, I suppose, because we moved there when I was 26. And but about 15 years ago, no, 16 years ago, I applied for a writing residency in Orkney. I didn't get it, but I fell in love with the place and became started researching about it and, and became a little bit sort of obsessed by it. I think if you can stalk a place, then probably I stalked Orkney. Uh, you know, used to sort of, I, I can probably identify every house that's ever been for sale on, on the islands over the last 15 years and tell you where, where they've been resold for higher amounts as well. <laughs> anyway, so, so yeah, about so 16 years ago, I fell in love with the place, but then, then life happened so um and death happened and it just there was never a point where where we could move um so either because i wasn't in the right place in myself to move or because mostly because we couldn't afford ever to move um and didn't have financial security of, of income and because I was caring um, as well, and because of looking after my son. So last year in November, we did move. Um, we bought our first house <laughs> at the age of 51, uh, which is monumental because it's something I never thought we would ever be able to do. Um, 
you know, it's it's very rough around the edges, our house. <laughs> and it's got a tiny patch of of uh, mud outside that will become a garden one day. Um, but it's ours. Mm. And I'm not living by somebody else's rules and not with the same precarious rental worries that go with that. Um, and we just decided that it was necessary necessary to do if we were going to do it. I think I, I decided I needed to do it now. Mm. I was going to do it and the, a place came up and we were able and and suddenly we moved. It's <laughs> amazing. I love that. Um, I was th- I was just thinking as you were speaking about like constraints when you mentioned about you know like not not almost like being at the mercy of somebody else's rules in terms of the garden and things like that and that's something that you talk quite a lot about in the book um, so I would love to kind of move into talking about how the book came about because it I think when I messaged you, I said I cried numerous times reading the book for various, but for various reasons. It was never about the same, you know, it was never for the same reason. There were so many moving images or um, encounters or just so many things. I think a couple of times, and I think especially when you were talking about your garden and how hard it was for you to literally just plant things in your garden. I kind of wept with frustration at that because it was just like, oh, why is it so hard? Because um, I have a I have a friend who, well, she was in army housing because she's a her husband is in the army and and she said the same thing. She made this, she was able to make this amazing garden, and then when she left, she was like, it's all going to be flattened, and 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 that's it. And so yeah kind of going off on a tangent but I would love to hear about the book how it came about um how you started and and just yeah just just kind of all about it really because it is so lovely and wonderful and brilliant thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh the book took 10 years to write wow really it grew it grew in exactly in the same length of time it took to grow a garden I grew a book um, and in much the same way that the garden grew it grew out between the cracks mm-hmm. of life um, so because I was full-time carer both for my son and, and for my mother in mm-hmm. in end-of-life care um, I didn't really have much time to write at all so I I would light a candle and I would write for whatever mm-hmm. length of time I had mm-hmm. and then as soon as I had to go back to whatever the demands were I would blow the candle out and go back to the demands of life um which is why some of the chapters are very short <laughs> I personally love that yeah I, think... I, I, I love it too um you know yeah. I think that I think the structure of the book shows, you know, illustrates a lot of how how it was written. I, I wanted. I don't. I. I don't think I. I don't think I intended to write a book. I didn't start at the beginning going, "I'm going to write a book," but it was a conscious decision to 
to write differently to to writing just a diary or a journal or whatever. So, so I did write direct onto a computer, onto a laptop, and and it was about trying to um, distill, capture moments. So I tried very hard to kind of get get as close to the truth of whatever moment I was writing about. And as I was creating the garden at the same time with my son, that became a kind of symbiotic relationship. So where I would experience something in the garden would then shape what I was writing about and then what what was coming up through the writing would would feed into the garden and it became this conversation between the two two places um so in in the book in the structure of the book you've got the um each chapter is is a plant is introduced through through a plant mostly you know wildflower mostly what would be classified as a weed and and what most people would take out of their garden and our garden was created by what people threw out of their gardens so it was weeds that we could find in the building site around us that I knew would be destroyed you know I'm I'm not advocating going out and picking wildflowers (laughs) digging them up Um, but these were growing on a construction site where they were still building the houses around us so I knew they would they would be be buried under all the rubble Um, or they were donations from other people's gardens or they were literally what people were digging out and throwing out and we would go and collect them and plant them in. I think that conversation, that conversation between um, how I had to create the garden, you know, the fact that there was you know, digging in, you know, the first time I stuck a, a, a spade into the ground, it just hit rock, hit rubble, didn't go anywhere at all. And then I realised that every single you know, every single thing I had to do in that garden required digging out first. So that kind of that relationship between writing memoir and and gardening also became this conversation. There was all this this rubble and crap basically in the ground. It was, you know, there was two hundred years worth of it being an industrial stoneworks plus all of the industrial buildings that they just flattened and buried under the topsoil, um, all the sort of broken metal and broken glass and just rubbish that was under there. And then a little thin layer of topsail and, uh, topsoil and then a, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a thin blank covering of, of fast growing green grass. Uh, well, you know, as I was digging through all of this rubble um, and planting these things in, I realised that, that, you know, these things that would grow, they weren't growing, no, they weren't growing in spite of this broken ground. They were growing because of it. They grew, the, the things that we grew in our garden thrived because the ground was broken, because of the stories that were in that ground before that's what grew the plants so those two i've gone off on a tangent <laughs> those two oh no please do had a had a, a a very creative and personal relationship um so what you have in the book is 
every plant that's in there was in the garden by the time I left. Um, well, sadly, by the time I left, they were no longer in the garden because I um. had to destroy the garden. But by the time the book was finished, every plant that's in the book was growing in the garden. Whereas at the start of that journey, there was nothing mm. growing in the garden. Um, and I think that that, that that impulse to see what would grow mm. in the face of having lost a lot and feeling like nothing would grow, that everything was breaking and everything was dying and um, that impulse to grow something resulted in 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 this story that kind of pushed up between the cracks and and taught me so much about about what about the what's beautiful mm. what's joyful um and also about how you know just like the plants grew in the in the broken things if i if i had taken every single piece of, of of the rubble out of the garden and made and and had a you know if i'd had a gazillion pound budget <laughs> and i'd put wonderful soil in and all the rest of it and and perfect plants and and made you know a mini mini sissinghurst in the whole back garden <laughs> it it wouldn't have grown what it grew. Mm. Um, and if I had, if I'd taken all of the grief and all of the sadness and all of the challenges and all of the broken places out of my life, it wouldn't have grown mm. what it's grown. And in the process of creating the garden and writing, the memoir, I, I kind of came to see the beauty in in those places. Mm. It, it, it changed my relationship with them. Mm. <laughs> it, I, it feels like it's that it's an acceptance, isn't it, of of everything everything that is you know and but also what what is inspiration because as you were speaking I was thinking you know you're talking about if it had been possible like pulling out all the rubble and making it pristine and perfect and then planting and, and doing all those things but and and almost like finding inspiration from things from like the ideal circumstances if you like but actually it's more about finding inspiration wherever, whatever the land looks like, whatever the circumstances are, whatever your circumstances are. And the necessity of, because I think that's so true of creativity, like the metaphor is so strong in terms of we can never be the thing we want to be or the thing that we think we should be we can only ever be what we are like that garden could only ever have been what it was 
and with the past that it has had and it's still fertile ground for something that be, can be created you know something yeah. new yeah it yeah it's still you know to look at it at the beginning you know it could have seemed like nothing would grow again mm. um but by by working in that space with what i had you know all this amazing you know all this amazing creativity happened um so you know at the point of 10 a decade passing you know we we had you know a really biodiverse space mm. you know, there were a, a huge range of, of habitats you know we had woodland mini woodlands micro meadows ponds you know um sustainable food growing mm. you know trees we had all of this in this small space you know all in there but also attracted all of this life into it which is this other thing that it's not this it's not this sort of sealed bubble which i think is also the same with creativity mm. you know when we when we create we create something and we're putting that energy into the world and we're sharing it and and that in turn creates something else and draws mm. life into it and, and inspires and and has a conversation with with other things so we become we we you know we're engaging in a much more biodiverse way with our lives as well so we're connecting with each other through creativity um so i think that 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 same relationship happens um you talk about the biodiversity of the space and gaining inspiration from different places not just in the garden but in creativity and i was going to i was thinking about and i was thinking this as i was reading it as well did you learn about the garden as you went or did, did you already have an understanding of permaculture and those sorts of more i guess um earth respectful <laughs> let's say practices did you was that knowledge already there or did you learn it as you went both i think i <laughs> i you know, I, I I was aware of, and I did, you know, I did, um, it's part of how I try and see the world mm -hmm. that way. Um, so it wasn't an, it wasn't an, an abstract idea to me. And mm -hmm. certainly within the work that I've done with Wild Women, um, that's been part of, of that creative process. So using nature as, as, as part of a creative, um, process with with the group and so it wasn't wasn't something unheard of I was raised in a way where my mother grew her garden in a very wild way and my eldest sister was a gardener um initially and and you know was was very much involved with that kind of sustainable gardening and and in fact all of my sisters in one way or another have been involved with with um ecology and biodiversity and sustainability so it's part of my vocabulary, I suppose, and part of my upbringing um, to to try and have that relationship with the, with the natural space around me. Um, but at the same time, I also learned as I went along because I I learned with my son, which was part of his home education as well. Um, so we did learn things together, like um, how to 
build hugo culture beds and you know how to how to create wetland gardens and and then the knowledge that the the plant knowledge that came with it, the plant wisdom that that was part of it as well so so as the plants were growing we we explored what what properties they had and their history and things like that so i learned from the garden about that aspect um and then have added to that in the process of writing with more research and um and study as well so mm. and and kind of on that obviously the <clears throat> the plants are very much a part of the book and they punctuate the chapters how because i felt like when i was reading because I, I i love plant wisdom stuff i don't I'm not an expert. The information goes in one ear and out another, and I'm constantly having to read and reread just to try and remind myself of what all these things mean. But I was reading it, and 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 it does feel like they are this. Well, they are like I was going to say, like a thread running through the book, but it's it, it's that network of roots, isn't it? All intertangled, all intermingled. And I, I one of the things that I wondered was how how you chose each one in the like is the order significant it feels like the order is significant especially I noticed as we move towards the end of the book and you know there's a lot of um the plants to do with like releasing and grieving and and passing from one world to another and I but I wondered whether that was something that you was preconceived or that you that you came to afterwards and how it was that you chose which one to go where because that feels like a very intricate process, a bit yeah. like gardening, you know, figuring out what, what should go where and what would grow best where. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, again, it, it's probably both, you know, both of those things that uh, the learning about the plants, as I said, in the, in the creative process was sort of in plants would inspire, sort of trigger something with writing or, or the writing would would make me look at a plant in a different way. But as far as the sort of where the plants went in the book, there is a there is a conversation between each plant and its chapter. Um, so, so there is there is a structure where the plants are changing, and the, and the the sort of the the purpose of the plant is changing with with the the process of of life, and I think that. It does, you know, I think that my choice, the choices that I made editorially in that way, certainly sort of looked more closely at those. Um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any chapters in there where I actively changed the plant. And I thought, oh no, that plant's no good. I need a different one. Um, but I think that there were, there are some plants that were left out that 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 you know that, that couldn't go into the book because they weren't part of you know they didn't fit uh -huh. fit that, that that process i suppose uh -huh. um and also the idea that the 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 it was important to me i think in the in the in the telling of the story that there wasn't a a kind of a 
here's the beginning, here's the big challenge, here's the happy ever after. Mm -hmm. um, that it moved in more cycles than that. Uh, but in that same process, there's a healing of the of the ground that's underneath it. So although there's still there's still grief towards the end, it's it's my experience of it is different. Mm -hmm. My response to it is different because the ground underneath has been healed more mm -hmm. process. So so just as the garden went through those transitions so so my experiences and my um my responses to to the way well to the things that happen in life mm. changed mm. and obviously in the process of of the book my my son is growing up as well so that relationship with him changes mm. that's one of the wonderful things about the book i think is seeing that interaction between him and you and and the way that like you say the way that you are as mother and son like I could and I think you know sometimes that was what kind of got to me a bit was like seeing those little interactions that I've seen with you know I've experienced with my own children where they'll come out with something and you're like where how how have you become <laughs> this like mini teacher you know it's I love that that drawing out of that relationship and the fact that it is such an integral part of the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I um, again, I, I mean, I didn't set out to, <laughs> I didn't set out to write, I didn't set out to write a memoir. I didn't set out to write a memoir about motherhood or loss or an apothecary garden, which that's what it says on the tin. Um, I like to think it's really obvious, uh, but but obviously, it, all of the things in the book are, are are my life. You know, I were my life at that point in time, and what I was doing was, you know, in some ways, I kind of see it as this. It's almost like the the, the flowers been pressed between the pages, so it's like the, the kind of you know either sort of a flower press or a herbarium or something that there's these these moments of life that have been pressed between the pages of the book. Um, and that's what I was doing. I was just trying to, to capture those moments. I think in as much talking about the past and, 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 and trying to write honestly about the loss in my life, mm. um, and my past that was, you know, there my my history was changed with loss. Mm -hmm. So I was capturing those moments, but I was acutely aware that the moments with my son were passing. And that was, I mean, that was one of my reasons for one of my reasons for for wanting to do the garden. Um, one of our reasons for moving was because I realized that I I needed to I needed to find a way back to to being whole. Mm -hmm. I needed to find a way back to being able to be present in my life. That grief and the care demands were, were taking me away from being present in those moments and and he was growing and one day he would grow and be gone. 
Um, and I think because of the circumstances of his birth and because of, of his illness, being able to perceive a long future wasn't something mm. I could do. So I, I, you know, there's that thing about, you know, living, the, grief te teaches us to live in the moment, which it does. But I always found that quite a trite, kind of annoying saying at the time. <laughs> Um, because it, sometimes it's presented in this kind of like, well, grief, yeah, really makes you, you know, grab hold of life and be present in the moment as if you're in a position to go out and do these yeah. fabulous things. Mm -hmm. Actually, what it does is it makes you be present in the moment. What I was trying to do was avoid being present in the moment because it hurt like hell. Mm. But by being... By avoiding being present in the moment, I was avoiding being present in the moment of all those other things. So by allowing myself to be present in the moment of grief, I was also able to be present in all of the joyful moments and the the, the, the amazing moments of being taught by this little person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just realise, you know, just discovering so much love and so much joy in these small small things that were growing mm. um and and having to embrace the absolute terror of of what motherhood meant <laughs> which was that realization of of things passing and things potentially going and things being lost and the, the whole vulnerability of of our tiny fragile lives mm. that we have Mm. that that are you know we I think so much of the way that we survive and so much of the way we're taught to survive is about controlling and strength and management and you know particularly the language around diabetes is all about control and strength and management um but you know this this kind of perception of human beings that as this this so almost untouchable mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like we're not we're 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 fragile and momentary mm -hmm. mm. that's what being a mother showed me very clearly because i watched a life passing in front of me and also what grief taught me mm. It also it also taught me a lot about resilience and and you know that's where that relationship with the weed comes in again that that it's that kind of absolute defiance against the odds. It's going I'm going to grow. <laughs> I'm going to be fabulous. <laughs> yeah. I just think of dandelions just being so obviously fabulous. Like, Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I've got um, a great big yellow head. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wonderful. One yeah. thing, but then you look at what people do to dandelions, which is mow them down, you know, and know. dig them out. And it's like, oh. <laughs> One image that just came back to me as you were speaking was um, of your son finding the pottery in the rubble, looking through the rubble. And I was thinking that as you were speaking about um, you know, finding those moments of joy, being present 
with grief in order to also be present with the more joyful moments and the and the things that you know pass us by and that was well it's a couple of things that I thought of was him picking up the pottery and then the telling of the tale oh you know that's what the story of this piece of pottery is because it's got the blue you know the, yeah. the images on it and but also the passage of time I I noticed especially again towards the end of the book the word time came up in in me as I was reading it and it there is this passing of time that happens in the book obviously and how you know you I think you sort of say towards the end oh you know it's been 10 years or whatever since um yeah you sort of reflect on the fact that it, it this book has taken you know has has been not just of one year or f- for example but you know longer than that and you're telling a story that happened years ago or a few years ago and I was thinking about that passage of time and how it really it really stands out to me and and reflects to me what you're saying about things being so fleeting and taking joy in these moments even when they're really hard and finding that piece of pottery um and reveling in it even though it's literally just a piece of pottery because my kids do the same it's like look i found a piece of pottery in the garden <laughs> oh okay <laughs> I yeah I mean that obviously the the whole whole relationship with time when writing memoir is is this kind of elasticated blobby (laughs) experience where suddenly you're experiencing your whole life simultaneously but that's what life is Mm. we've got a passing of time we have things that mark the passing of time so we have we have obviously we we have aging we have physical aging um we have birthdays we have milestones in life we have a garden that grows from a seed to 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 a full plant we have the cycles of a garden where you know we have these wonderful things and then they die and it's rubbish and it's full of like <laughs> <laughs> and then we think there's nothing ever going to be there ever again. And then there's this dandelion that pops up, and you know, or the little snowdrop comes up. So you've got the whole cycles within that. So we've got there's almost kind of a faith, mm. a faith in time passing that mm. that you know we we have whatever, and also we have whatever time we have, and we don't know how long that is, you know my sister going out one day and never coming home mm. you know this vibrant very much alive person suddenly not existing mm. you know, was was an experience that taught me that we really don't know how long we have mm-hmm. um that doesn't make that doesn't make it possible to suddenly shove an entire lifetime's worth into every but every day, which I think yes. is the other thing that's sometimes mm. translated out of that. We still just have to live our mundane everyday trundling along the treadmill lives because 
because we have life we don't know whether it's going to be 90 minutes or 90 years you know Mm -hmm. we'd be quite tired by the time we got to 90 if we lived like we only had 90 minutes and probably our bodies wouldn't be very good (laughs) so I think that 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 combination of of deep time in the earth and Mm. long time in our sense of humanity and momentary time all exist together so in the memoir writing memories from early childhood my early childhood would sit alongside memories as a mother Mm. um, with my son so experience of present moments and then memories of my mother in there and then her memories of her childhood and so all these memories would kind of interweave with each other and and speak to each other but looking back into memories was a bit like that finding these pottery points pottery shards in a garden because I would start and I would look back and I'd be like that's a terrible memory (laughs) and then it's like that's a wonderful bit of pottery (laughs) so I'd find these moments that would be as alive and as present as the one that I was in Mm. and their stories that they had would be as present and 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 as revealing so you know I suppose if I'd written it all off as being terrible I wouldn't have bothered I wouldn't Mm. have found all of that so Mm -hmm. I think that, that that's kind of Again, it's that, that kind of creative process. I would also say that grief absolutely scuppered my creativity. You know, I, mm-hmm. I when every metaphor about creativity and particularly around ideas of, you know, and I use this flexibly, particularly around ideas of sort of feminine creativity and, mm-hmm. you know, motherhood and all that, <laughs> that it's all the metaphors are water. Mm. For example, you go with the flow, and you know, yeah. and water is the source of all life, and uh, the springs of inspiration, and and then you have somebody who drowns, yeah, and suddenly water isn't the source of all life. Water isn't this flowing thing. It's terrifying and cruel and takes a life away. So. <laughs> creativity to me in in the in the in the kind of deepest point of that seemed pointless you know what what was the point you know I've been asked if I wrote all my wild mothers um whether it was therapeutic to write Mm -hmm. I said no I I I had therapy (laughs) the things I needed therapy for (laughs) um and i think writing definitely you know creativity is very much a valuable um tool in healing and in in, in therapeutic processes i've done a lot of po- I, know I used to work using poetry in therapeutic circumstances and mm-hmm. creative writing so i've done a lot of work in that field but writing this wasn't therapy but learning to 
let creativity back in was. Mm. Um, and allowing myself to find creativity in wherever it was and in whatever form it came. So gardening became mm. that creative process. I'd never really gardened. <laughs> Such a, certainly plenty of people didn't think what I was doing was gardening. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that kind of, I think particularly, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, so that's fine. But particularly as a, you know, this idea, I, I, you know, I used to hear things like, to be a writer, you have to read lots. Mm. To be a writer, you have to have a set creative writing time. To be a writer, you have to. No. So actually, to be a writer. You just have to be present in your life and find a tool for putting that down. <laughs> it's actually what you need to do. Yes. It's like that's kind of to be an artist, that's what you do. And then obviously you can refine the use of those tools. Mm. You can learn to use them in different ways, you know, just like you can learn to paint with oils or print, you know, do mm -hmm. lithoprinting printing or whatever. You, you know, you can hone those tools, but essentially it's being present and finding a tool. Mm. And that's that's creativity. That's that's what you need. And then you need time mm. and you need space. And that's where it butts up against a lot of the demands that happen. You know, I can't say whether they happen as a any other parent other than the parent I have been. So my experience of being a mother was, and obviously I'm aware that there were some other aspects of that, but by being a mother and being a carer, there was, time wasn't something that I had an awful lot of. And it certainly didn't feel like it was mine. Um, so that was about find allowing myself to find moments and being being sort of in, seeing those moments as a positive thing. So rather than feeling like I didn't have any time to write, if I lit a candle and I wrote for three minutes. It was like that's brilliant. I feel I feel fantastic. I've I've had three whole minutes to write in, <laughs> but it made me get in that moment mm. really quickly. You know, I think if I can, I have eight hours a day to write in. I'd be like, I'll clean the toilet. Yeah. I'll do something. Yeah. I'll just sit here and go. Oh, I wonder what I'll write about. <laughs> yeah, stare out the window. That's my favorite pastime. Yeah. But it's also about creating those spaces mentally, which was what the candle was about. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, when you when you're looking after people, particularly when you you know, in the, at one point, I, I'm of an age that I became what's called a sandwich carer, which I always thought sounded like I'd be like eating lots or something. <laughs> so, but, you know, so I was looking after an elderly, my my dad who was elderly and infirm, my mother who was, you know, terminally ill, and my son who was young, and also has a medical condition that needs. And type one requires 24 seven care. So I had 
I didn't have any time. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but more importantly, I didn't have any space in my head. Um, so there were, there were definitely moments where I couldn't write at all. Mm. And I had to just memory bank stuff in there. People say, oh, well, but you must have written it in that moment. It's like, no, but if you're present enough in, in that moment, you will remember mm-hmm. and you will be able to go back in there and and be back in that moment. You know, it would not have been appropriate for me to say to my mother, you know, I'm sorry, you just be in pain of a minute. Yeah. Hold on. I've just got to write this down. I know <laughs> I'm just going to write down what this feels like for me to watch you in pain. Okay. That's <laughs> like, no, that's not going to happen. That's not real life, is it? Um, so I suppose it's that kind of, again, it's, it's seeing, valuing what came up, what was there, what was present, what could grow, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, that thing that, I had in mind that I would have this fabulous house with a studio and lavender and, <laughs> and children and, you know, wonderful friends that would come round and drink wine and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and all that was, was a collage of mm. expectations and images from other people's creativity that, that had collected together to form an idealised understanding of what being an artist, being a writer, being a woman mm. was. And none of those were mine. Mm-hmm. What my reality was, I was fairly un- depressed. Mm-hmm. In well, I'm going to rephrase that. I was full of grief. I was broke. <laughs> I was living in social housing. Mm-hmm. I had a young child who had medical needs. I had elderly parents. Uh, I had a, a hundred and one demands on me, mm-hmm. and um, I had a garden full of rubbish and no money, so so I could plant weeds. So. Yeah, and that that was that was the material that I had, and my life was was brilliantly full. <laughs> so, and how does it feel having written the book, having finished it, it being out there? How does that feel now? Um. I think because it took a long time, you know, I don't, I feel okay about it being in the world. Mm-hmm. I um, you know, I spent a long time writing, which also meant that I was strengthening and healing on a, you know, a, a kind of a whole person sense mm. throughout that time too. Um, I think, you know, I could, if I put out a book a year after my sister died, I would have not been in a position to to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm 10 years older as well, you know, and all the things that come with it. And also then taking two years in the process of editing and, and getting, and so, you know, writing a book is one thing, you kind of, you write on your own. Mm-hmm. 
and then it's like oh I've written this thing <laughs> so you know the process of it coming out in the world was I wrote all these pieces on my own then I was working with a, a mentor um poet called Wendy Pratt and and we were working on some poetry that I'd done mm-hmm. and uh and we had a bit of time left. She said, what else have you got? And I said, well, I've got these bits. <laughs> I don't know what they are. So she had a look at that. And then she was like, no, I think you might have something here. And we started looking at it. And then and then I decided I, I entered it to the Nan Shepherd Prize. Um, and then that became another set of people looking at it. And it got long listed for that. So then that became a different relationship with it again. It was like, that's strange. And I hadn't seen it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got long listed in the Penguin right now, and that meant that I could. I worked with a, an editor. You know, I had a meeting with an editor who then looked at it. So it was another person, and then, and then it went through the processes of submission, mm-hmm. agents, and you know, initially that didn't go so well. Um, and it came back, and I was like, okay, what? What, what do I need? And I entered it into the Northern Debut, the North New Writing North Northern Debut Award. And it won that. So that gave me both a bit of financial help and it also let me enable me to work with another mentor. So I worked with Catherine Simpson. So again, this other process of it becoming it's it what it was going to be. And I worked with another mentor, Cal Flynn. So I like to think there's been loads of um wonderful midwives for this book as well. You know, these this this strong connection of women um who've who've supported and I got a Society of Authors grant, which enabled me to spend time working on it as well. So and then it went out to submission again, and I had wonderful feedback from agents who weren't necessarily taking the book, but helped me understand it in terms of its presenting it as a pitch. And then it went out again. And then so it goes through all these processes. And then eventually, you know, it it went, you know, I, I was, I, I, um, became represented by Jenny Hewson, uh, Lutchins and Rubenstein. And, and uh, so that became another relationship. And then it was submitted to publishers. And then this sort of crazy thing happened where there, were, there was this like five-way auction <laughs> over the book. And I was like... <laughs> wow. Um, so I had, yeah, I had this kind of... I had this crazy moment where, with the agents as well. Where I had six agents offering to represent it, and then wow. five publishers offering to publish it. And, which you know, each one made me, you know, each one helped me. Each experience and each relationship with another person helped me um, understand my own book, mm-hmm. understand where I was with it. Mm-hmm. It it put me in a situation where I was having to talk about it and reflect on it, and, mm. and so by you know, and then obviously then working with editors as well, mm-hmm. um, and all of the the publicity and all of the machine that comes with with publishing. So by the time it finally came out, my relationship with that with the memoir is different, but essentially it's still it still holds so much of what's precious mm. in my life um and it's you know i know it's a quiet book 
it's it's a quiet book that's quietly going about growing between the cracks mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it it's um you know whatever whatever expectations or or preconceived ideas I might have had about what what that would feel like when the book came out um again like most things in life uh they turn out not to be quite mm-hmm. what you think they're going to be but I'm you know I feel I feel like I've put something into the world that, that you know I, I I feel like it means something it means something to me mm-hmm. and I hope that the people who it will mean something to will find it mm-hmm. um, and I think that if it adds to that conversation about grief and about creativity and about love and hope and you know and that that's suppose that's what I you know I I when I wrote the the the, the note at the beginning of the book you know that's what I hope that the book does is it kind of it is a seed of hope mm. it is a kind of say you know whatever else is happening. Mm find that because I think we need that now you know more than ever yeah need that and you know when I when I was writing this it was my experience of grief by the time it came out collectively globally we'd experienced this huge upheaval in our lives where suddenly the future that we thought was certain was no longer certain and Mm -hmm. You know, collectively, we were mourning people, people who were were suddenly gone. So these experiences in the book that were so personal, by the time it was kind of born into the world, was something that that I saw so much around me. Mm-hmm. Even in as much as things like people having to experience what it's like home educating, mm. who'd never had to do that before. You know, or or living with with a changed body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I I trust that it has a place in the world, mm. and that it will find its place, and that the people who find it will pass it along, kind of blow its dandelion head. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, that's that's. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) Well, I think it does feel like a different kind of memoir. I have to say that. And now that you say that you you kind of wrote it as you went along, that makes so so much sense because you do, there is, and I know quite often there is an immediacy to books. And I I feel like, like we've talked about time already, but I, I feel like, I found it really easy to immerse myself in the book, basically. And and I think the 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 kind of shorter chapters almost help that because it's you don't feel like you're reading like six pages and then, you know, digesting all of this stuff, which is quite, you know, a lot of it's quite difficult to read because it's it's there's pain there, but also like you say, there's the love and there's that that sort of like we were talking earlier about Libra, Libra full moon there is that balance of hope and grief and all of the different things mm. and I think I do think it will 
get to the people who need to read it and be passed like and then it feels like that kind of book that you will like oh have you read this book and you pass it along and because there's there's all that connection also that connection with the plants and it's almost like it's a bit educational in places you know there's there's so many I like to think you get two books for the price of one yeah (laughs) (laughs) you get a memoir but you also get a book on herbal medicine and folklore But, but that's a good but that's amazing because then anyone who hasn't necessarily gone into that and even thought about that it then opens up that whole world of plant medicine and, and plant wisdom and and that that's kind of that's also part of why why I wanted to do it, structure it in that way was because it used to be part of our everyday mm. wisdom was was part of our everyday these weeds were part of part of the way we managed our everyday mm-hmm. you know, that's what I love I love the the names for for plants because mm. they tell us so much you know, actually, if you look at the folklore names, often they 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 will they will have a a real direct correlation with what what is then found out scientifically about those mm-hmm. plants. So I think that you know that's by placing them in there, in amongst the life, you know, the the lived moments. It is about that. It's like these are part of part of our lives and they're there they're around our feet they're growing up between the cracks you know even if we live in a big city Mm. you probably find most of those plants if you start looking yeah Um, so if it feels like that way then then that's great because then it kind of introduces the idea of of these this knowledge being part of part of part of our history and Mm. part of our being and and you know and then don't get me started on the whole you know why why women were removed from medicine (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think there's there's a lot in there it's not you know it's not just a book about grief and gardening Mm. or motherhood and gardening or Mm. it's yeah it's you know it, it, it in trying to get into those no in in being present in those things it 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 brought up so many other conversations in myself that I think have fed into it yeah yeah that's what it feels like as well I think um before I kind of come on to the questions that I ask everyone um I wanted to ask you about the wild women press Hmm. um and just kind of yeah I was really interested to read about it and and that being another aspect of your work I'd love to hear about what you do with that and what it's about and uh so I set it up. Well, I'm just going to go back a bit. Um, <laughs> when I was in my mid twenties, I founded a group called Wild Women, and the really the impetus came out came about because of partly because of working in mental health situations. And working creatively using poetry and creative writing and and realizing that a lot of the people that I was working with were women who were living with anxiety and depression. And it seemed that that was a a poorly distributed balance (laughs) of, of users, that there were a lot of women in that group of people. And the more I worked in it, the more it felt like actually a lot of the things that people were struggling with were about 
expectations of who they were, um, external pressures to be a certain kind of type, type of person, uh, of what being a woman was, or mm-hmm. you know, what being a mother was, or so there. It seemed to be very. It it seemed to be very connected with not having space to to express themselves, to, mm-hmm. to live their lives, to be to be their full creative self. I'm not trivializing any of it or or simplifying mm-hmm. it because obviously there are a multitude of reasons why we experience anxiety and depression and this is not the answer to all mm-hmm. of it but i decided that maybe there needed to be a space where people where women could do that and obviously in my own life i also felt that it's like you know maybe i'm not maybe i'm not the problem here mm-hmm. maybe the problem is the the, the shaped hole that I'm trying to fit into <laughs> so I just you know in the days of 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 having to actually pin posters to notice boards because the internet didn't exist mm. <laughs> well it did but it went me yes very yeah. slowly um and only few people used it so I I put posters up inviting people inviting women to come and do a series of workshops to celebrate their wild woman and tell their stories and i'd also been reading clarissa pinkola estes's book mm. at the time which had been sat on my shelf for years and i was like oh i think i'll read that and then i read it one go. yeah <laughs> underlining everything yeah <laughs> that's so right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i had thought that i thought i was just really weird yeah. um, you know, let's go and howl uh, yeah. so so I did that and, and uh, kind of put these things up and, and it proved to be a howl that other people heard because suddenly my phone was ringing and people were saying, I've seen, found this poster or my friend gave me this poster and I really want to come. And so a group of women arrived at my house who were all older than me and with that brazen hussy thing of being in your know, mid-twenties, I stood up and went, I'm this is what being a woman is. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all very, very charming and let me go on like that. Yeah. Um, so we spent and I brought other women women writers in as well. Mm-hmm. Um you know and I think you know probably now you see that woman space probably needs to be contextualized, but we are talking 25 years ago. Um, but it never was an excluding space. It was like, do you identify? If people came to me and they identified with that, then that was mm-hmm. it. They were there in the group. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, now if I was doing it, I would probably be more conscious of the language, but it was 25 years ago. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the conversation wasn't there yet. The conversation wasn't there yet, mm. generally. And I was as ignorant as everybody else in terms of how language can shape that. Um, but the wild woman was about a sort of energy and and, uh, and a creative energy and, and a storytelling thing. So, so we came together, we wrote. Um, and at the end of, of the workshop, so I said, what do you want to do with your stuff? Shall we put it in a book? okay let's do that 
so I set up Wild Women Press because, you know, what do you do when you want something done? You just do it yourself, don't yeah. you? <laughs> Never done it before. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and we published our first book of poetry and um, and it sold out in like the first week. Wow. <laughs> and then and then we started, I was like, well, Hey, what should we do? Should we should we people started asking us if we would go and do readings? So suddenly all these women were like, oh, I'll go and do readings. I mean, some of the women were already writers, I would say. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, but certainly, I mean, there was one woman in the group who said, had I known I was going to be writing, I wouldn't have come because I buried that lead. <laughs> so, and I would say she actually went on and won the competition that we all entered and she won it. So wow. <laughs> so yeah, so that sort of then progressed into running our own small press, mm-hmm. where we published the we published the the stuff we were creating as a group, and you know bringing in more writers and artists and creators to come and work with the group, and then we started working with other women in the community um, and running events, and you know over time we've worked with over two thousand people. Wow. And and done quite a lot of events. We even went to Glastonbury. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's this this is just ordinary women living in a rural place, yeah. you know. Mostly over fifty. So And you are you still are you still doing it now? Uh what it changed we still we still have a group mm-hmm. so we meet every week on on zoom actually now oh, cool. um, and obviously you know it, it did what it needed to do so some people moved on to mm-hmm. do what they wanted to do in their lives and and you know no longer in the group um and some people you know we've moved to different places so we're no longer all in the same area geographically but we do still meet you know aside from during the covid peak years uh we've met every year in a big country house and spent like nice four days just sort of basically sharing and creating and having fun and catching up and and um and I also when I realized I wasn't physically going to be able to keep up with doing a lot of things that was another thing that happened in the creative process of the book was I was I became quite ill in 2019 um, I mean, obviously, I had to sort of pull back of doing things when I had was looking after my son and looking after my mum and things. So, but I became quite ill in 2019, and I was diagnosed with a few things, and and realised that that I wasn't going to be able to stretch myself as far as I was and and sustain myself. So I had to kind of make a decision about prioritising what. I could do creatively so mm-hmm. writing myself was one you know so focusing on that part of my writing journey was one and I um I focus on uh working with women through the wild women web so I do a monthly sort of guest feature from women so it's been going that's actually been going since 2018 it'll be five years this august um so it'll be five years this august and every month it's it's a different um different woman from around the world 
different creative walks of life um, mm-hmm. or just people doing really inspiring things in their own lives and they you know it's a fairly open space so I kind of I like to think of it as like a, it's a conversation around the fire mm. and a blog um mm-hmm. we've had some fantastic you know there's been some fantastic people out, well they're all fantastic but <laughs> you know, it's it's this idea of spinning a web that kind of this global it's the wild woman web as opposed to the wild world <laughs> wide world <laughs> I love that um and then I'm working on a new project now, which is the Wild Women Salons. And I've got uh, some fabulous authors mm. uh, who are going to be doing online salons, talking about their own creative processes. And that sounds awesome. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm still still doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And we still meet as a group. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's, you know, that's kind of, that's that's part of my life work i've i've always done it voluntarily <laughs> um for the love partly because the energy required to get funding for anything oh, is yeah. just exhausting yes I've never i've never had enough never enough never enough energy or time to do the things and do funding or marketing or whatever so it's either had to be do it for nothing mm-hmm. or spend all of my time fundraising and marketing and then I wouldn't be able to do the thing that I was fundraising and marketing for so I can understand that um so last two questions and these are newly revamped questions that I ask everyone I try to change (laughs) them every now and again and then very similar but almost kind of slightly reworded so um the first one is in terms of your own creativity, what's one thing you would tell a past self of any age from any any period in your life you choose? I won't say like when you were 12 or 21 or whatever, just um, one piece of advice, one thing that you would have told that younger self <laughs> with regards to your creativity. Um, I've always been a bit of a persistent person with it anyway um so I've always created I've always written since I was teeny tiny um and always knew that I would write because it's always been part of who I am but I was once told and I won't say who by (laughs) but I was once told that I wrote very well but I was writing about women's stuff and who would want to read about that? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that went in and was then underlined a lot by the books that were reviewed and the books that won prizes and the books that got the literary accolades and attention um and the people I saw creating and the books I read about creative people and the fact that it seemed like all the women writers I liked when you know you talk about Byron being mad bad and dangerous it's like women writers were either mad bad or dead yeah (laughs) it's like it didn't seem like a wise career choice when I was studying for my O-level English and it was oh. like Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath and it's like, this is going one direction, isn't it, lady? 
Um, so, you know, I think that I would go back to that girl and say, your experience of life is as important as the most literarily literally even a word I don't think <laughs> the most the most prized writer that there is your experience of your everyday ordinary life is as important and as as of much value as the most ex extraordinary life mm. because both of those stories help us understand what it is to be human and help us understand each other mm. as human beings so i would say don't ever think that the story that you have to tell is of less value or less relevance less importance or less beauty or courage or strength or any of those things than the person that you've put on the pedestal mm. has been the thing you have to reach mm. that's what i would say <laughs> yeah. yeah with uh, the finger pointing yeah <laughs> <laughs> from two it? points i've got two little points yeah. on my desk they were having a conversation <laughs> then <laughs> oh um and then my last question is what's ahead for you what what are you looking forward to are you working on anything is there anything up ahead that you're yeah that that you're excited about or just mm. feeling good about well I've got a garden with one daffodil growing in it at the moment <laughs> that's the only thing that's there it's a daffodil just one with one yellow head <laughs> um but the most amazing soil. Mm. I was just like, couldn't believe it. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what will grow in it because I don't know what grows in proper soil. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, at some point, this garden was loved deeply. Mm. Um, and there's a there's a community garden just down the road from us, which is lovely. Again, I was talking to one of the women who work who volunteers there. She popped her head over. And she said, you know, "How how how lovely it was to see the garden." getting attention because it, it hadn't had any love really for the last 20 plus years mm. with people passing through the house so this house this house needs a lot of love mm. <laughs> um so but but digging into the soil i realized at some point someone had really nurtured that little back garden it's tiny it's this little <laughs> tiny yard um but somebody has really nurtured it it's like mm. the opposite of the last one so it looked like rubbish on the top, but underneath is like this deep, deep, dark, rich soil that wow. goes on forever. I put my spade in and it's like I start disappearing <sighs> Alice hole. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really excited about seeing what that garden becomes mm. and creating that space for, again from nothing, but from a very different you know, it feels like a continuation mm. of that story. You know, the, the the base is now really rich and it's nurtured and it's 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 full of of nutrients. So I feel like this is like me. You know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's this new story to grow, and I don't know what it's going to be yet. You know, we, we're in this new home, 
And oh my God, it's so amazing to put a spade into the ground and think, no one can tell me mm. how I plant this garden. You know, inside the house, you know, we, we're really, it's taking us a long time to kind of get used to the idea that we can create it. We can create this space to express mm. who we are without feeling like we have to fit somebody else's rules mm, or that or it's going to die for it or be taken from us or mm. um so there's a there's a, a whole sort of liberating process in that that i'm very excited about i'm very excited to be by the sea yeah <laughs> and it's not just by the sea it's kind of by the sea in extreme wow <laughs> the sea's everywhere so you yeah. know, you go to town and the sea's on every side and, <laughs> and the the bay is the bay is just down the road so we're not sea facing mm -hmm. can't afford to be sea facing mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of sea facing and we hang out the skyline yeah. like <laughs> um, so, but it is just down the road so every day we go and walk on the bay well the cat takes us for a walk actually oh um, <laughs> that's a completely different story yeah. <laughs> so we go walk on the bay and going back to picking up that that thread of the pottery I started collecting pottery shards Ooh. from the from the bay because there used to be a midden there apparently so it's full of all this amazing oh, wow. old pottery so we've you know between us for some we found we found things that we've then dated back to kind of 1856 1830 wow you know, so we're, and one one bit that I love which was it was a little naffy it's called naffy pottery Mm -hmm. 1942 which is from the the war front kitchen so it was the cups that the soldiers had on the front line wow um so obviously at some point somebody had this yeah this cup and it went through a war and oh, the stories it, and it's still got the date on it wow has ended up on the beach and all of that ties into i suppose what i'm working on creatively which is writing about those stories that are in the landscape and the fragments of life that we find. Um, and our relationship with the landscape, I suppose, and, and, and the stories that it holds and a, a reclamation of those stories. And what does it mean when we're facing a point in time where the landscape is is disappearing mm -hmm. what does it mean to those stories that it holds so mm -hmm. I suppose that's that's sort of where I'm where I'm working on and around that and its relationship then to living in a chronically ill body which I do now so well which I always have actually I just didn't have a name for it before yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm the stories of my own body um not just in terms of of, of illness but also in terms of aging as well um, yeah so yeah I look forward to reading that, that <laughs> so do I yeah. <laughs> so, but I know I don't know no I did warn my agent that uh that that, that um given that I'm 50 now she she might not get a huge return <laughs> it would take me 10 years at a time to write a book well maybe the floodgates have opened 
maybe it's just but, a different but it's fun to it it it's fun i say it's fun it's it's fitting together and it's a moment it's it's a moment in life which is which is both very deeply connected to the story that i've written and the place that i've been but also very much a, a new place and a new start and obviously my son is now a fully fledged teenager and about to you know not long before he starts his yeah adult life off so <laughs> which is a whole other thing <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um, <clears throat> this has just been such a lovely chat I felt like I have really loved sitting and listening and just yeah. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it too <laughs> this so lovely. um so before we go can you just mm. let people know where they can find you the book any website or Instagram or social media whatever mm. all my wild mothers is available online you can buy it pretty much anywhere online in the usual places. Obviously, encouraging people to go to supportive places with fantastic ethos. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, All My Wild Mothers is available to buy online and you can order it in all good bookshops. Support your local independent bookshop if you can. And another great way of getting it is obviously, you know, cost of living is high. And I'm aware that people are having to make some hard choices about where their money goes. So, you know, if you can't buy the book, go to your local library, see if they can order it for you. Mm. Um, If you've got a local book club Mm. or online group, give me a shout. You know, we can organise something and I can come along virtually. This um, would be such a good book for a book club. Yeah, this would yeah. Know. There's so much in it. It would be amazing um, for a book club. I'm I'm happy to you know if, if people want to contact me through my website um, or Twitter or whatever. So my website is victoriabennett.me, and my Twitter is Vic B Wild, which is V I K B E E W Y L D. I know it's all spelled <laughs> wrong. <laughs> And my Instagram is just be wild, B-E-E-W-Y-L-D. And like I said, my, my website's victoriabennett.me. Um, so honestly, you know, if you if you want me to come along to your virtual club, have a chat, talk about the book or your Instagram or whatever, just give me a shout. You know, I want people to be able to access the book. It's available in hardback. It's available in Kindle. It's available on audiobook. Um, which also the audiobook has a little bit of music by the bookshop band which is wonderful they created a song in wow they created a song in response to inspired by the book so you can also get that that's so cool (laughs) I know it's beautiful I'll send it to you yeah Um, send you a link so it's important to me that the book the story in the book and the and and what it holds gets to who needs it so mm-hmm. yeah don't feel just because if you can't afford to buy a hardback book that it means you can't you know access this book because mm-hmm. local libraries are brilliant they are amazing we love a library yeah thank you so much for chatting and yeah taking time because we've 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 gone over a little bit <laughs> 
a little bit over the hour but I I felt like when you were talking I was just like this is we just have to just let this roll you know because no but this has just been such a lovely rich diverse wonderful conversation and I really yeah I really appreciate your time so what happens when you put two Libras having a conversation that is so (laughs) on a full moon in Libra that is so true (laughs) yes that's why there's a lot of hand waving (laughs) 